Welcome to the Nature-Backed Podcast of Single Earth. In this series, we are talking with investors about their visions of the new green world. My name is Tarmo Birki, and in this episode, I'm talking at Latitude 59 Startup Conference with Dema Sathanyathan from Bethnal Green Ventures. But first, a message from our sponsor. Hey there, I'm Merit. I'm the CEO and co-founder of Single Earth, and we are building a nature-backed currency to empower you to fight against climate change and biodiversity loss. Sign up at Single Earth and be among the first to switch to a truly sustainable, nature-based economy. And don't forget to join the discussion around climate change and biodiversity loss on our Discord channel. Enjoy the show. Welcome, Damo. Thanks for joining us at the Nature-backed. Yeah, thanks for having me. Very Hello. excited. Tell a few words about the Bethnal Green Ventures. What's the background of the fund? Yeah, so um, Bethnal Green Ventures has existed for a decade now. We're celebrating 10 years of investing in tech for good. And what we mean by tech for good is um, backing really ambitious founders who are using technology to tackle quite pressing social and environmental challenges of our lifetime because uh, we want to see better outcomes in the world, um, particularly around maintaining a sustainable planet. And I love to say because it's the only planet with chocolate, <laughs> it matters. Um, but also contributing to healthy lives um, with sort of looking into, th- there are quite a lot of intersections when it comes to the effects of air pollution, for example, and how that has an impact on people's healthy life expectancy. Um, and then the other thing is really around contributing to a better society. So. Yeah, we're an early stage fund. And when I say early stage, I mean really early. <laughs> um, we usually invest in companies when they are pre-product, pre-revenue to an accelerator program and then help them um, raise further funding up to Series A. So basically pre from pre-seed to seed level and yeah. then helping them to grow further. Yes. Okay. Uh, do you have any particular focus on the kind of this planet is the focus or how do you define the focus? Yeah, I mean, we talk about maintaining a sustainable planet because we we fully appreciate the Earth has existed for however long. Um, but we're getting to this point where a lot of the man-made um, harm that has occurred has a deep and um, deeply felt um, effect on people's lives, particularly when it comes to marginalized communities. So I myself come from Sri Lanka, which is a tiny, tiny island, which is already reaping quite a lot of the effects of climate change over the last decades. Um, And obviously, maintaining a sustainable planet can mean anything in that regard. But we're also particularly interested in um, areas around reducing electronic waste going to landfill. So we've invested in companies like Fairphone, who are looking also not only into sourcing um, material in an ethical fashion, particularly around when we see harmful practices when it comes to mining cobalt and gold, mm. for example, um, but also access to affordable energy and really looking into the shift of moving away from a quite harmful industry to more renewable energies as well. Mm. Coming from Sri Lanka, but the investment focus is in Europe or yeah. global? No, the the investment focus is largely focused in Europe um, because one of our restrictions into investing is that they have to be UK registered companies. But 
in that sense, they can be operational anywhere. So we mm. also have companies who are based in uh, Zimbabwe, actually, um, and in other African countries um, where they are trying to provide better access to electricity by teaching students, for example, to build their own devices, which is really awesome. Mm. Um, and that's a company called Open Energy Labs, for example, um, who are doing phenomenal work also just to upscale really young people into a greener industry as well, which is also necessary. Um, but yeah, they have to be UK registered companies, but yeah, again, they can be operational anyway. Mm. How big is the portfolio? I mean, uh, you know, <laughs> hearing you, it sounds like uh, you've been involved with quite a lot of uh, things. Yeah, so, um, oh God, we have quite a large life portfolio. So over the last 10 years, we've invested in 166 ventures. Um, and of those, more than a hundred are active, um, which is really great to see. Um, largely, twenty-one percent or more are um, in the sort of climate tech sustainability space. Um, and uh, yeah, of those companies, they have gone on to raise further investment uh, with over a hundred million now, which is also great to see because a lot of times the founders that we get to see are first-time entrepreneurs and who don't who really want to learn the ropes of pairing impact with profits. So I'm really, really interested in also building responsible tech products and services as well, because ultimately they're also thinking about what is the energy access level that I need in order to build this technology and maintain it for millions to use. But also, how do I ensure to do no harm with some of the behavioral change patterns that you want to integrate so people you retain users onto your platforms, which is another bigger piece of the puzzle, which we're super, super interested in helping our founders. Mm. The pairing impact and profit, that's mm. probably like the eternal dilemma a little bit, like <laughs> which was first, the chicken <laughs> or the egg, right? Yeah. yeah, yeah, definitely is. But it's it's quite fascinating because, again, because we're so early stage, at the point when we see companies as well, we both we always ask the question on how do you think you will, what impact outcomes are you trying to achieve and how do you think you will measure them? And oftentimes people don't have the answer to that and that's absolutely fine because our accelerator program is really geared towards helping come up with the answers to that as well. But then the other question is also around how do you think you will make money? And that is quite an interesting approach because oftentimes people are just like, oh yeah, I'm gonna I'm gonna have affiliate marketing on the platform, and we're like, ooh, big red flag. Like we've seen examples of how those type of business models have really done harm in the world. Um, but then others are really thinking about, okay, how do I show you that I can validate someone's willingness to pay for this? Um, and this is also something that we've seen with Fairphone, for example. So we invested in Fairphone back in 2013. So we're the first institution to invest into the company. They're now a profitable company. They are absolutely smashing it. Um, I can talk about their product forever, <laughs> mm. <laughs> especially around their impact validation. Mm. Um, but at the time when they sort of started out with the idea, so how do you actually source ethical material for building phones? The smartphone adoption was just on the rise, so 2012, 2013, a proportion of people were getting smartphones, but it was not visible yet what the supply chain looks like. Mm. So what, what they did was actually quite clever. They actually just did a crowdfunding campaign and tried to see if there's enough interest for this as well. And their crowdfunding campaign was so successful, which actually showed us as investors and gave us enough evidence there's strong demand for this type of product. There's not a market yet, but there's enough of a community behind it to actually 
develop this new market as well. Mm. And the likes of Apple and Google and Microsoft at the time who also had a few phones in the market. We're not interested in doing this sustainably. Mm. We see a lot of this now where they're like, oh, you can bring in your phone and get it repaired. And you're literally like, well, you can also just build ethical modular smartphones and do it that way. So mm. really looking into how at the inception of a product as well and just doing it the right way. Mm. So have they actually solved this kind of the blood, uh, uh, what are they, the, uh, the, the blood minerals uh, challenge for the phone industry? There's, yeah, I mean, <laughs> it's a really good question because um, it's it's n not just the the gold, for example, is um, being mined in in ethical sort of mining um, sites in uh, in Chile, for example. But then a lot of the conflict material comes comes from the DRC, particularly cobalt, mm. and which is also sort of an unspoken paradigm in the industry because a lot of this is also going into electric vehicles and when we we all talked about how amazing electric vehicles are but we then are not looking into the supply chain and how we're mining these uh, how we're mining these products as well um, but uh, Fairphone for example they they also just went to the industry and put a challenge out to the industry as well and we're basically like okay so how do how can we foster a more ethical and sustainable production in the supply chain as well and have built the Fair Cobalt Alliance and have partnered with numerous organizations that are just trying to tackle the sort of effects of modern slavery and child labor and that are common sort of practices in the industry and are trying to do that to make it work, mm. um, which I think is, is a good premise to sort of start on, but obviously not it's, it's not 100% there yet. And um, which is why their iterations of their phones are also quite interesting to sort of look into the life cycle assessments that are being done. And they just recently published theirs on the Fairphone 4, which is really, it's a 205-page report, <laughs> mm. <laughs> which is quite yeah. a whopper. But it does sort of show that you can try to build businesses in a way that are responsible and take into account that we do not want to do harm to the world. Mm. So, yeah. Cool. I mean, I've spent like, Ten years in uh, covering phone industry as a journalist, mm. so that's why you know I ha I'm passionate about this topic uh, as yeah. you are. <laughs> yeah, the uh, but that's really really cool. How big is their impact today? I mean, uh, mm. I've heard of the brand, but yeah. how many how many of actually in the hand of the consumers? Yeah, um, so it's in it's in the six digits. I would okay. say if I get my math right, yes. Mm. They, they have sold quite a large quantity of handphones for the smartphone 4 edition. Mm. Um, but the really nice thing is also, particularly looking at the sort of life cycle of any smartphone, traditionally industries are geared towards, oh, and like and once you have had your phone for a year or two, it mm. slows down <laughs> massively mm. and you're sort of pulled into needing to buy a new phone anyways. But they still they still provide security updates to the previous editions. There's a huge community on Reddit, <laughs> which mm. is quite fascinating. Um, just helping each other out on mm. specific questions on like, oh my god, my Fairphone 2 has just given up. What do I do? And hell, yeah, it's just such a brilliant community behind it. But um, if you want the, the, the actual numbers, they've also published their impact report fairly recently. Um, which has oh, and they transparent. Yeah. Yeah. Everyone can go and uh, check it out online, surely. Yeah. <laughs> the, uh, looking forward, I mean, 
you said like roughly one fifth of the portfolio is climate tech investments. Yeah. How would you describe the kind of the I don't know the pulse of the climate tech scene today? Yeah. Um, so with the likes of like Pale Blue Dot emerging and raising ha- having quite a lot of funding to deploy at, at the pre-seed and seed stages, and uh, like generally like a lot of the activities under the regulation, which are determining that we have to disclose all of our sustainable activities mm. now as funds. Um, I think there's large interest and more capital available, but there's a question on like who gets to make the decision about where capital is being allocated and who has access to capital. And then the other question is also, are these the right type of technologies we need to put our emphasis in? Because if it doesn't if it doesn't address quite a lot of the climate change um problems or the results, the, the problems that have risen from more climate emergency um, in sort of marginalized communities particularly or in low and middle income countries, then is that fit for purpose as well? So I would love to, personally, I would love to see more um, startups receive funding <laughs> for mm. some of the cool stuff that is happening in South Asia, for example, around um, removing removing uh, sort of the kind of ammonium levels in, in water so you can actually have access to clean water, um, which is a huge issue, or looking into how you can cultivate growing seaweed in these regions as well because that's that's part bread and butter of someone's income. So there are loads and loads of intersectionalities around this as well, which I think is hugely exciting. It, it is, very, very much so. Um, so Life is hard, but finding a really great podcast makes the days go by so much easier. Hi, my name is Blue Tulusma. I'm a writer, an emotional intelligence coach, and the host of Humanize with Blue Tulusma, a podcast where we believe that when you humanize everyone in the room, a great conversation is almost guaranteed. Join us every week here on Electricast as me and my guest co-hosts unpack big topics and interview even bigger personalities with a sense of humor and a dash of mischief. If you're looking for a new best friend in your head, we've got you covered. Electricast. Some people with whom I've been speaking here on the series have been saying that in the, in the climate tech sector today there is more money than ideas. Or more money than startups. Mm. Do you see anything similar? I like we hear this a lot, and I think that's not specific so, to the climate tech sector. Okay. It's in general. In general, people mm. love to say like, "Oh, there's not enough in the pipeline," and like, mm. "Well, then open up your pipeline." <laughs> <laughs> it's, yeah. it, it, there's so much talent out there, and I was just speaking to someone who is, has built this amazing dream space academy it's called and it's it's basically like a whole program to cultivate talent to become entrepreneurs really young really young refugees and Mm. internally displaced people for example so people who don't necessarily have access to becoming entrepreneurs themselves and they have just come up they've built this whole venture builder program in 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 the north of sri lanka for example which is why i'm quite mm. i was quite like oh my god this is amazing um but the, the the founder of that academy was just talking about some of the really cool sort of ocean tech um startups ideas that have emerged from there mm. so i mean these things are only things that you hear about when you when you open up access to capital as well and are quite actively looking in other regions. 
Um, so I don't think it's a pipeline issue. Mm. Like there's enough. T- there are so many amazing ideas out there. You just need to look go in the right. Them. Yeah, yeah. Go and find them. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. As an investor, how do you go and find them? Oh, that's a okay, good we question. Are, we are meeting in Tallinn <laughs> at the Latitude 59 conference where, <laughs> you know, you coming from, you know, <laughs> through UK <laughs> from Sri Lanka originally. Mm. It's quite, quite, quite far away, right? Yeah. And <laughs> um, that's the thing. I've, I feel like our VC fund is quite unusual. We are 10 people full time at the moment, uh, eight women, two men. We've recently mm, like had a typical VC firm, eight women, two men, right? It's yeah, usually eighty twenty. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, exactly. We had to we had to hire a man into our team fairly recently to For diversity. address the gender imbalance. <laughs> <Yeah>. Exactly. <laughs> um, but I think what what we sort of see with founders themselves as well, especially when they come from underrepresented backgrounds, they also want to see more representation in 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 funds themselves. So they're they're also more likely to go to X Y Z fund if they also see themselves represented there. If it's sort of the traditional model of like it's only white men who are the decision makers and who are ultimately going to decide yes or no, I want to invest, then. Yeah, it's it's a slightly skewed picture. So we need mm. more representation in VC funds as well, which ultimately will also hopefully lead to more access to capital to underrepresented founders. Mm. I had a uh, couple of weeks ago a pleasure to speak at the TechChill conference oh, yeah. on a diversity panel. Mm. There were three females, and I was representing the minority of the middle-aged <laughs> white men in that panel. <laughs> yeah, yeah, and they need diversity <laughs> of thought, right? <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Exactly, but uh, it's uh, it's an interesting uh, interesting uh, field and interesting impact. How the uh, mm. kind of the variety or the diversity of the I don't know investor firms and the investor base is actually important for yeah. the for the startups to yeah. to raise capital. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, 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 definitely. So we we see quite a, a rich diversity when it comes to people from all walks of life. And particularly when it comes to sustainability or um, anything focused on climate as well. We see a lot of people, obviously, who are like, oh, I watched this David Attenborough doc- documentary and I'm now really compelled to do something about this because I can't see any more sea, sea lions mm. falling, uh, falling down a cliff. Mm. Um, but obviously, we then also have people who are really living the consequences of climate change and who are bearing the brunt of the climate emergency and who are basically like, I cannot afford to live on a planet that is just about to die exactly. and that is decaying and I don't want this for the future generations either so I'm going to actively do something about this because we are already seeing the repercussions of this and I want this to go away mm. I want things to change and that conviction is really amazing to see particularly so in founders there's yeah. a lot of it and there's a lot of in the teams also yeah I've noticed it inside our team also that there's a lot of uh, you know uh, people who are 40, 40 plus and have uh, kind of done something, uh, some, something already in their life and joined a climate tech startup because they want to you know, yeah. have an impact on yeah. making the world a better place eventually. Yeah, yeah, definitely. And we definitely also see more a trend of people who have previously built different types of businesses and have made like good money and good mm. returns, mm. and they're now in a very comfortable. Sp- place to sort of bootstrap some of the companies that are now focused purely on driving positive outcomes for people and planet. And that's really refreshing to see because it just shows that people care um, in a world that is really um, rife with inequality and problems arising from the climate emergency as well. So um, 
Yeah, even though so we at BGP we like to call ourselves practical optimists. So even though we sometimes are quite cynical when we see some of the some of the investments being made into companies and some of the industries that are getting a lot of traction right now, we're quite hopeful and we're quite quite adamant that we think the the future of FTSE 500 companies will be the ones that are driving positive change. Practical optimist. That sounds. Uh, yeah. <laughs> Good. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so we have to be practical because mm. we're still a, like, a relatively uh, small still, fund. Still a, still a fund, <laughs> yes, exactly. Yeah. The, uh, there are much bigger funds who are basically just optimists, yeah. right? Yeah, yeah. Or like just really just focused on the returns and don't yes, care and about what very, it very does. practical. Exactly. Mm. <laughs> um, if, you, um, if you think about any, is there any advice you could uh, give to those people who maybe just looked at that uh, David Attenborough movie and think that, uh, you know, I want to leave, leave a better planet for my kids mm. and, uh, you know, I need to do something about it. What's a good place to start from? I guess they, uh, hmm, that's a good question. Um, there, there are loads and loads of resources out there, um, particular from the Alan MacArthur Foundation and Forum for the Future. Um, so there's loads of loads of NGOs and civic um, public sector organizations who put out a lot of research and put out a lot of resources around ooh, what are some of the circular economy business models, for example. So the Forum for the Future has published like a whole deck around 10 archetypes in the circular economy and when it comes to the business models that they have. So one big piece I would say is just educate yourself. Look out for what already exists in the market and do not reinvent the wheel. So <laughs> the, the, the number of times I see like carbon offsetting platforms or ESG data platforms, I'm like, okay, uh, now calm down. We have seen a hundred over the past year. Um, perhaps there's something else that needs addressing and really looking into what are some of the needs not the ones that we need to solve for. Mm. And um, there's loads around sort of conservation, biodiversity, even more sustainable farming and agriculture practices, looking into increasing the, the security of our supply chains when it comes to food supply chains. There's loads and loads of opportunities in this space. And I feel like it's a good thing to sort of focus on a problem um, but love the problem that you want to solve and not the product. So don't be mm. too vested too hard on wanting to build something for the sake of building something, but build something that is going to be adopted by the people you're trying to serve. Mm. That's um, very often one can still see in the startup space, people are passionate about the product and yeah. uh, try to find uh, try to squeeze the audience to fit the yeah, product not exactly. the other way around yeah 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 <laughs> <laughs> yeah yeah that's cool uh, yeah um, when you when your travels uh, you know what kind of companies you're usually looking at um oh good question um so i, I usually look at really very very early mm -hmm. stage and um the founders we get to see come from, again, from all walks of life, which is really nice. Mm. Um, but it's it's often sort of geared towards, in the climate tech space, I see a lot more that is focused on climate adaptation. Um, and I would love to see more around climate mitigation. Like, mm. how do we actually think about 
disaster risk reduction in zones that are prone to natural disasters a lot. Mm. Um, and what are some of the things that we can do that are looking into some very sort of traditional sort of um, cultures from different communities that are then embedded into tech development as well. Mm. So I um, had the pleasure of going to Kenya a couple of years back for a, a conference around social enterprises. And there was this amazing founder, female founder, who was basically talking about the pastoral communities um, who, in order to find water, because access to water was also deeply affected by El mm. Nino, um, just less than less than five years, yeah, over five years ago mm. now, um, and there were some pastoral uh, pastoral communities who were basically who had different sort of community practices in, in order to find water, and she then just used that practice and embedded technology into it in order to make it easier for those communities to be able to access water and groundwater, fresh groundwater mm. as well, which is like, hugely fascinating. Um, and there are so many different practices in, across like uh, South Asia, for example, or East West Central Africa and in different regions that are really bearing the brunt of the climate emergency, where people look at rising sea levels in, when it comes to flooding and are just the kids are then running back and alerting the elderly who have sort of risk um, responses mm -hmm. ready. So how do you then embed a layer of technology, if the infrastructure exists, mm -hmm. into those community practices that would make for amazing scalable solutions? Um, so yeah, I'd, I'd love to see more climate mitigation products and services. Cool. I hope uh, our listeners are out there to build them. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> thank you for your time, Dema. Yeah, thank you so much for having me. And uh, yeah, hope, uh, hope to see many, many more of these episodes. Thanks. Join us again for the next episode. Thank you for listening. If you like the show, please give us a good rating and leave the feedback in your podcast player so others will find it too. We will be back next week. Turn on to Nature Back Podcast. DC, I host the rock podcast Back to the Arena, the interviews. It's about a 30 minute podcast where I talk one on one with a band who has released new music. You can find us on all the best podcast sites like Spotify, Apple, Google, iHeartRadio, and more. If you're a rock fan like me, subscribe today to Back to the Arena, the interviews. Electric acid. Welcome to Sarah Talk Solutions. Ladies and gentlemen, you've tuned into a bit of a different type of show. I'm Sarah B and I'm your host. You can find me on my IG, which is Aussie underscore Sarah underscore LA. I talk about amazing, relevant conversations and topics and what functions that goes on in this magical, wonderful, wonderful city of the City of Angels. My IG, which is Aussie underscore Sarah underscore LA. Yes.